All right. Well, Merry Christmas to all of you. A few weeks early for Merry Christmas, but glad to start singing and celebrating the season. Uh, next week, we'll start a message track on Christmas and really explore what Jesus's birth uh, means for us. And I know many of us have been in church for years, and we've heard that narrative kind of repeated over and over. Maybe for you, it's your first time, or you haven't haven't visited that in a while, but hopefully, whatever stage you are at in your own spiritual life, uh, the next few weeks will be really sacred and special to you. So we look forward to getting into that next week. But today, we get to finish the book of Colossians. We've spent the last 10 weeks walking through this book, which I believe uncovers for us the secret to life. And hopefully, you know that by now. We've repeated it week in and week out, but we'll look one more time at how Jesus being in our lives is actually the secret to our lives uh, as we encounter here the last few verses of the book of Colossians. Hey, I feel like this part of the book is, is the invitation for us to step out the door of our homes and our churches and into the world. Hey, when you think about inside of your home, uh, inside of your heart even, you're reckoning with the, the doctrine of what Jesus uh, who he was, what he came to do, how he impacts your life. You're wrestling through the putting off of your old sinful nature and the bringing on of the new life that Jesus died to provide. Uh, as we talked about last week with Pastor Dell, how that, that kind of new life now impacts every relationship that we're a part of, but all of that's still really close to home. And it would be easier if the call of the gospel, the call of Christianity, was for you to accept Jesus make him the Lord of your life, and then keep your life really controlled and just stay at home and at church. And if you could do that, maybe the, maybe the path of being a Christian would feel a little bit easier, but we all know that that's not how it works. That when we're at church, when we're at home, we're strengthened for the task, but then we have to step outside of our front door. And when we go out into the world... When we go out to school, when we go to work, when we walk down the street of our neighborhood, when we have people come into our home, when, whenever we're interfacing with the world around us, we realize that following Jesus actually gets a little bit more complicated because not everyone else is also following Jesus. Right? There are people who would actively mock your Christian faith. There are people who would tempt you to walk away from it. Uh, there are people who would just kind of gently pull you in the wrong direction. Um, and we face that every time we walk out our front door. And so what direction do we have from God's word? What prescription do we have about how to interface with the world around us? And I think in the last few verses of the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul gives us a little bit of a recipe for how we should face the world we step into. So you can think of this in different ways. You might imagine yourself walking out the front door of the church or you know, maybe over by the family entrance door of the church. Or maybe in your mind's eye, you think about literally when you leave for work in the morning. Um, I either go out my front door or I go through my garage door and out the side door of my garage. And once I'm out in the world, I face all sorts of challenges that are different than the ones I face at home. Okay? And that's what I believe this text is going to give us wisdom to face. When you step out now as a transformed Jesus follower, Jesus in your life being the secret to your life, well, now that's going to change everything about your life. Okay, so going all the way back to the beginning of the book for one last time, we looked at this verse every week, kind of a theme for our whole series. This same good news, the gospel that came to you is going out all over the world. 
It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it uh, and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So we say, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Now, how do I live on that basis? That, that transformation of the heart has begun. Lord, I want to see that through to completion all the way until I meet you personally when you either return or I die and, and, and end up at your throne. We've also learned throughout the book of Colossians that everything you need to be a whole person, you will discover in Jesus Christ. The temptation, I think especially among us who are students of the Bible, is to always think that there's more that we need before we have all the, that we need. That somehow, like, if I could just open it up one more time and learn the next principle or get the next outline, then somehow I would finally arrive. Here's the good news. It was what the church of Colossians was thinking too. They were thinking, we've missed out. We, we, we know that the gospel is true, but there's got to be more to it. And, and here Paul comes and says, what you have is what you need. Everything that you need to be a whole person is already given to you in Jesus Christ. So as much as we would wish maybe in our, uh, maybe as we think about it, kind of, like, well, it's got to be more complicated than that. It really isn't. Okay, and that's why we say it this way. Jesus in your life is the secret to your life. As we learned a couple weeks ago, obedience to Jesus flows from my identity in Jesus. Being a Christian does not involve necessarily walking through the New Testament saying, okay, what are the commands I have to follow? I mean, you can do that. That's a good exercise, but that's not how you'll see your heart transformed. The way you see your heart transformed is you recognize who you are in Jesus and you start living on the basis of that new life. And you read the, the commands of the New Testament not as, as a list of things that you slouch your shoulders down and go, man, there's so much to do. Instead, you say, this is who I want to be. Lord, would you give me the grace to walk in your direction? So at the end of one section, this was right before what Pastor Dell talked about last week, kind of sets up the final section of the instruction in Colossians. So we go back to verse 17 we see as the heart is transformed, we're now released to be representatives of Jesus in everything that we do, not just our words, not just when we're feeling churchy or particularly spiritual, but in everything that we do, when you're on a sports team, when you're at work, when you're at home, when you open your mouth, when you're online, like in everything you do as a Christian, you are now a representative of Jesus, for better or for worse, right? So whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's inside your heart, your home, and your church. And then as we'll discover from chapter 4, verse 2 forward, also out in the world. Okay, so if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, we'll look at that, chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his wonderful plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I may declare it or declare this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. And I really like this set of verses because I feel like in, in just a few sentences, we get this prescription for how we step out our front door and how we actually engage meaningfully in the world around us. Uh, it starts with prayer. You notice that? That you walk out the door 
and you say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to face the challenges and complexities and evils of the world on my own, with my own ingenuity, my own power. Lord, I need you to be a part of every step that I take. So I'm devoting myself to prayer. I, I want to walk forward in this world intentionally in a relationship with you. Now that prayer leads us to alertness. Notice how it says you're, you're devoting yourselves to prayer with an alert mind. And, and I like that thought because I, I know what it feels like to not have an alert mind, don't you? When you're just kind of vegged out, right? And you're just not very alert. And that's when your spouse or your parent or someone, you know, gives you a whole bunch of important information and you say, wait, wait, what? <laughs> it's when you don't have an alert mind, right? And, and what happens to us spiritually is if we walk into the world not on alert, we'll fall for the traps and temptations of the world. And so a non-alert mind wouldn't really be concerned about purity or about truth. And a non-alert mind would just kind of be free-floating throughout the day, hanging out with the buddies and not really recognizing that life is serious, that things actually matter, that choices actually add up. And an alert mind is thinking, you know, there's more to life than meets the eye. There's, there's a spiritual dimension that, that is all around me and is a part of the decisions that I'll make. And so uh, it's not just about what do I personally want to do today and can I have as much fun as possible or have the best promotion possible or make as much money as possible. No, there's, there's a spiritual battle around us, right? There's angels and demons and there's moral decisions and there's people coming to Christ and other people resisting his call. And we're stepping into a really complex situation as we say, now I'm joining the ranks of the representatives of Jesus in the world that we go into. Um, any Lord of the Rings fans in here? All right, a whole bunch of them. So I have to make a little confession. On my first date with Melissa many years ago, we ate Mexican food and then we went to Barnes and Noble and I walked her right over to the fantasy section and pulled out a big Lord of the Rings picture book because that was right when all the movies were coming out. And I was really into it, and some, for some crazy reason, she still stuck with me after that. And uh, although she's not really a fan of watching the movies, for me, that sounds like, you know, if I don't feel so good and I have to take the day off, like a thought, it, I kind of wish I could follow up on this someday, but a thought I'll have is I could just do a marathon of all the movies, right? But I've never actually had enough time in a row to do that. Uh, but here's a little quote from... Uh, Tolkien, uh, in the form of Bilbo Baggins. Uh, Bilbo and Frodo were, of course, um, there in Middle-earth, and, and they, they lived in such a protected and peaceful place. But their area was under threat from evil uh, all around Middle-earth. And, and here's a few words of wisdom from Bilbo to Frodo. It is a dangerous business, Frodo, walking out your door. You step out on the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no telling where you might be swept off to. When you step out your door, you're stepping into the world. You're stepping into a whole host of unknowns. And that's why you would devote yourself to prayer. You would have an alert mind. And then one other thing. It almost doesn't feel like it fits. What's the next phrase? A thankful heart. Now, it's interesting to think about what could you single out to say, you know, you need to have an alert mind because you're entering a battle zone and you need to have courage, right, or love. Or, there's a whole bunch of things you could fill in that would make sense right there. A thankful heart. 
You know, gratefulness is a root attitude that leads to a lot of other decisions and attitudes. So if you're grateful, probably leads you toward humility and honesty. If you're grateful, it leads you toward compassion to others. If you're grateful, it leads you toward worshiping God and prioritizing Him, praising Him. Gratefulness is a core attitude, and if you'll face the world with gratefulness, um, God will, will use your life in ways that you don't expect. Because some people would face the world, and if anything doesn't go exactly according to their plan, they don't feel grateful, they feel angry, right? They feel robbed somehow. Like, you, I didn't get to do the thing I wanted to do, or that thing got taken away from me, or I wish my life was going a different direction, but instead it's going this way. But when you'll, when you'll kind of suit up with gratefulness and walk out the door, no matter what happens, your attitude can stay focused on being a representative of Jesus and not getting tied in by selfishness or tied down by selfishness. It's interesting to think about the Apostle Paul as he wrote these words. It does say so in the text here. Where did he write these words from? Look down in the paragraph a little bit. That is why I am here in chains. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. So Paul, literally sitting in a what I'm sure was not a very first-class situation in a prison, chained to the wall with metal chains, saying... When you wake up in the morning, be thankful. It's not about the circumstances that are happening to you. It's an attitude in you. You start to recognize, Lord, in every decision I make, I want, to, I want to be filled with gratitude for your work in my life. And if I'll face the world that way, it will change how I operate in the world. Okay, so then he moves on. And by the way, the rest of this, I almost see this as a parenthesis in the text, right? Because he's giving directions to the church of Colossae, saying you need to devote yourself to prayer, be thankful, and by the way, pray for us. Well, like it kind of reminds him of his own prayer request here. The Apostle Paul says, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will declare this message as clearly as I should. In the parallel text in Ephesians, he writes, pray that I may declare this message fearlessly as I should. And it kind of gives you the sense that the Apostle Paul, as you know, holy as he might seem many years later, he was struggling with the same kinds of things that you and I would struggle with if we were in that situation. You know, you're called to preach the gospel, you're called to face a complicated world, you're called to resist your own temptations and meanwhile go out and do battle for Christ. And You'd say, Lord, I, I'm going to need to be clear and bold and courageous here because I don't know if I have everything I need to do this. So Paul says, pray for us too as we're, on the, we're in the battle next to you uh, fighting for the gospel. Live wisely among those who are not believers. So this is where your daily walk, all the things that were getting worked out in chapter 3 about your heart attitudes and the humility and the gentleness and the things that you're supposed to cultivate as a Christian, now this starts to become a part of your witness in the world. You live wisely among those who aren't believers. You recognize you're stepping into a world where not everyone is celebrating when you do the right thing. Not everyone is pulling you or coaching you to do the right thing. Instead, you're going to have to stand on your own. You might have to stand personally alone against the tides of evil. And so in those moments, you're saying, Lord, I need your wisdom as I act among unbelievers in business dealings, in attitudes at school, in the, the things that I watch and listen to, the words that I speak. Lord, all of those things have to represent you somehow. So Lord, would you help me to act wisely, especially among those who don't believe? Okay, make the most of every opportunity. 
all around us, each day when you step out the threshold of your home and you're out in the world, you have an opportunity. Your heart's still beating. Your lungs are still taking in air. You have opportunity. And so you say, Lord, my purpose in this world is not just my own personal purpose to either get through this day of work or try to get my kids to turn out well or try to, try to deal with the next challenge or try to get to the next vacation day. Lord, my purpose is actually transcending all those things and every day is an opportunity for your mission to be fulfilled in my life. So, Lord, what would you have me do today as your representative, as your ambassador? Okay, and then he says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. I'm sure you could think of someone, don't call out their name right now, but who you would say does not have very attractive conversation, very gracious conversation. What do you generally do if you meet a person whose conversation is... Well, not gracious and not attractive. Don't you kind of want to step back from them? Say, I really would rather not have that voice in my life. I'd rather not hear that person's voice in my ear. I'd rather not spend time with that person. So what he's saying here is, as a Christian, as a representative of Jesus, you have to make sure that your conversation, the words that come out of your mouth and the lifestyle that's associated with that is actually gracious and attractive, not something that would put people off. Because at the end of the day, you're not just representing yourself. It does matter what you do. It does matter, you know, if you throw out a curse word or you say something mean or you mock someone, like that matters because that's not just you doing it in your name, it's you doing it with Jesus' name in front of you. And so that's the testimony that you give to the world. Now, I showed this picture to one of my sons earlier today and he said it made him hungry. So I want to see if it works on you. Nice, big, hearty bowl of chicken noodle soup. Anybody up for that? Not too long ago, we had some sickness in our family, and Melissa whipped up a big crock pot full of this, and it was great, right? It's all refreshing, and it fills you, and you, I don't know if it really has healing properties, but you know, we all kind of think it does, I guess. And so I want you to just for a moment imagine taking a bite of a hearty chicken noodle soup. Like, how does that taste going down? Pretty good. I mean, unless you hate the stuff, but... Um, but now I want you to change your imagination. I want you to take all the salt out of the flavor of the soup. Zero sodium. And now I want you to take the same bite and tell me how that tastes. Some of you old timers, your doctor is telling you you're supposed to eat soup that way, right? You go, I don't know if I can do it. Like it might not be worth eating at all if there's no flavor, right? Because salt actually adds something that brings it to life, right? That makes it worth eating. So here's something interesting. The word attractive, and some of the translations that you might hold in your hands actually directly translate it this, this way, but the, the word attractive in this text in Greek actually means or is seasoned with salt. So it, it's he's saying your conversation, like when you're out there in the world, the way that you talk, the way that you present yourself, your presence in the room should be seasoned with salt should have some flavor, should have some dynamic quality, right? When you represent Jesus well, it tastes like something. And you might, want, it might make someone want to taste more if they get their first little sip of that. And I kept thinking about, I, I didn't pull the commercial because I, I watched it on YouTube. It was, you know, 80s, very cheesy. Remember the original um, kind of the campaign in the 80s for Lay's potato chips, what was their slogan? No one can eat 
just one. Well, why is that? Is it actually because the potatoes are really high quality? It's actually probably just because it's a little bit of salt, right? And when you eat one, you're like, you know what? I think I could, I think I could eat another one of those. And it is true, right? So um, don't, don't test fate and try to eat just one because you'll probably have to eat two. Um, I think our conversation as Christians should be like that to the people that we engage with. That when you meet someone who's a Jesus follower, you should leave that person wanting more of who you are and what you represent, not less. So instead of the person pushing away and go, I would rather never have anything to do with people like that again, instead they're like, you know what, that was so interesting, I'd love to hear more. I wish I could spend more time with that person. Let your conversation be gracious, seasoned with salt. Okay? So you could ask it if you wanted to self-assess, does my lifestyle and conversation leave people with a taste in their mouth that makes them either maybe curious about Jesus, like they have a good experience with you, and they're like, you know, if Jesus followers are like this, I'm, I'm interested in knowing more about Jesus. Maybe it leaves them confused about Jesus, because they're thinking like, all right, I know this person's a Christian, but... I didn't think Christians used those words. I didn't think Christians had those bad attitudes. It doesn't make sense that that person's a Christian, but they just, I just had this bad experience with them. Maybe, it, maybe your conversation leaves someone really clear about Jesus, right? Like you just, in the, in the course of conversation, the person knows for sure, like they understand what makes you tick, they understand how Jesus has transformed you, and they walk away and they say, you know, whether I believe this or not, I can't deny that that person has something special. It'd be great if people walked away from our interactions at the grocery store and that's what they thought, right? What about conflicted about Jesus? Where someone might be thinking, you know, it just doesn't add up. Like if, if Jesus followers are that way, I don't think I want to go to church. I don't think I want to meet more Christians. And sadly, a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth, not because of Jesus or the Bible, but because of people who claim to follow Jesus and read the Bible and the way that they acted and the words that they used and the mean-spiritedness with which they approach something. So, you could ask, Lord, in my conversation, how do you want me to bring salt? How do you want me to bring flavor uh, so that the things that I do and the words that I say actually add up to the right uh, conclusion? To engage with the world in a healthy way, I need to consider a few things. Okay, so if you look at this whole this whole couple paragraphs here of this text, I was just thinking, how does this break down logically? If I walk out my front door, Lord, I need to give you my attention. I need to be devoted to prayer, and I need to be alert, right? So I don't want to face the world in a haphazard sort of a way. I want my attitude to be thankful, because I'll walk into situations that are obviously not what I wanted, if, if it was all what I wanted, the kingdom would already be here and everybody would follow Jesus and it would all be rainbows out there, but it's not yet. So, Lord, in every, in every situation I encounter, help me be thankful. My actions, uh, the steps that I take, I really want to make wise decisions, uh, especially as I'm engaging with people that might be hostile to the faith that I hold. And so there should never be a day when a, when a Christian is cheating a non-Christian, right? We shouldn't cheat each other either, but you, you, there should never be a day when a Christian is lying to someone who's not, a, because we would never represent Jesus that way. We would never want to. Our aims, like we're walking out to the day not thinking sort of just, you know, whatever, more selfishly or aimlessly, but instead we're saying, I, I want to leverage the opportunities that I have. Lord, what do you want me to do next? 
And then my aura. It had to start with an A, so I came up with that word. Um, that's the, the kind of the vibe you give off, right? It's like when somebody's nearby to you and then they leave your presence, what are they left with? What taste is in their mouth? Uh, it's, it, they walk into you know, something that feels like Jesus and they have an encounter with him or do they encounter something very different than Jesus? It's, and I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it really is scary to me to think about the fact that some people in a given day their experience of Jesus might actually be talking to me. That might be as close as they get to Jesus in that particular day. Maybe in a week, maybe forever. And so I want to make sure that what they feel and receive and hear from me is actually a representation of Jesus. So to wrap this up, I thought we could try to literally do what the text tells us to do. Okay, you look at verse 2, it says, devote yourselves to prayer. You're going to walk out the door, here's what you're going to, here's what you're going to think, here's your attitude. So what if we took these verses and turned them into a prayer, how would it sound? And it's not so much about the words of the prayer, but the attitude behind this one. I think it might be something like this. Okay, so Lord, I'm going to, and you fill in your blank, I'm going to practice, I'm going to school, I'm going to whatever, the, the club I'm a part of, I'm going to meet with my boss. Uh, Lord, I'm going to work with you in me. That's a pretty big statement right there, but that's true. Like, if you're a believer in Jesus, that's always true no matter what you're doing. I'm going to work with you in me, and I want to be on full spiritual alert. No matter what happens, I choose to be thankful. Help me walk wisely and make the most of every opportunity, especially my conversations with those who don't know you. Help my words to be gracious and attractive so that people can see you in me, and so that the message of the gospel is clear, right? The message of the gospel coming through your words, sometimes when you're literally telling someone about the gospel, like reading them a Bible verse or walking through the plan of salvation, but probably more often than that, your life being an actual demonstration of the gospel, showing the transformation that Jesus makes possible, say, Lord, I want the gospel to be clear through my life, through my words, so that kind of a prayer would be a great prayer to utter when you step out the church building today, or maybe when you go home and then you walk back out of your home and say, Lord, I know there's lots of work to do at home and in my heart and in my personal relationships, but I also realize that whenever I step outside, I represent you. So where will you go this week with Jesus in you? Technically, everywhere you'll go this week, Jesus will be with you and in you, but will you be aware of that and representing him on purpose? Now, we don't want to end right there, even though that sounds like a great ending, right? Because there's still a few more verses in Colossians, so I want to read those with you as the Apostle Paul now turns to the specific situation of the church in Colossae and just gives some final words, some final encouragements, some greetings to the people that he knew and some of the people that were with him. So we'll read the very end of the book, starting in verse 7 of chapter 4. Titus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. Now remember, letters like this weren't sent by email, and there wasn't a post office exactly, and so, you know, Titus is probably a deliverer of the letter to this church. He said, hey, I'm sending Titus on purpose. He'll give you the bigger report that's not all written here. 
I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing, to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Titus will tell you everything that's happening here. All right, so if, if we were in the church of Colossae this morning, Onesimus and Titus would have been in the go segment instead of Roger and Denise, right? We would have been interviewing them. So tell us everything about how it's going with the ministry and what, what's happening with the Apostle Paul. Verse 10, uh, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. So does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. They're all, they're, they are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers, and they are working here with me for the kingdom of God. What a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God, which is an interesting reference back to the purpose of this book. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about why Colossians was written? They thought they were missing something. They thought that they had to get extra spiritual somehow, but Jesus wasn't quite enough. So here's Epaphras praying hard for them. They would recognize and have confidence that they do have God's will uh, and that they can walk in that. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea, Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings. So does Demas. Give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets at her house. After you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so that they can read it too. And you should read the letter that I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Which I think is, for, do you think that woke that guy up? I mean, here we are in church and like your name comes up. Hey, by the way, end of a book of the Bible, I want to make sure you're doing the right thing. So hopefully that guy got the message. Verse 18, here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains, may God's grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word uh, with humility, recognizing that there's so much that we need to know, so much that we don't necessarily know, um, and yet here, written down in front of us, are directions for our lives. We want to take those directions seriously. Lord, would you help us to hear your word in our own hearts? Not just here in the church, not just here with our brains, uh, but here in our hearts in a way that would cause us to apply and change as a result of the things we're hearing. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the secret to our lives, that you would be a part of us, that you would be in us, and that in all of your majesty and glory and power, you would still be interested in us and be a part of our lives. So Lord, in response to that, we love you, we give you honor and praise, but we also want to step out the door recognizing that we now represent you. With every word we speak, with every decision we make, with every priority we maintain, every deal we make, every test we take, Lord, that we can do these things not just for ourselves, but out of our new identity, out of the new life that you've died to provide for us. So Lord, we approach that task with joy, 
This is who we want to be. It's who we were created to be. I pray that you would give us the grace and perhaps the courage that we'll need to live that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week. God bless you.